from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And a very eventful day. Of course, this is the fourth now indictment of Donald Trump, but the first one where a mugshot was released. That's been released online by the president himself, the 45th president of these United States, El Trumpito Donaldus Magnus, El Presidente. And uh, I got to tell you, I think it's a... it's a, there was a bunch of fake ones. I think I even shared a fake one, <laughs> but um, the 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 actual image is um, out there, and they're doing their best. Every side, right? Every side, whether you support them or you don't, they're out there. And I got to tell you, I stand with President Trump here because he stands for the American people. When you look at politicians, you got to ask yourself, who are their lobbyists? Who are their special interests? Who are their donors? And when you look at Trump, his he's got some big money donors, but for the most part. It's the American people that are his donors. That's truly his base. And I think this is what is really wreaking havoc inside the Democrat Party, where they're just saying, man, no matter what we do to this guy, he just keeps getting stronger. Now, it doesn't mean that this is a foregone conclusion that he wins anything, but it means that there's a lot of support for President Trump to become president again. And this scares them. And that's why we see this fourth indictment where he threatens their their ability to do what they do, right? In reality, they're charging him with a criminal enterprise. I submit to you folks that our government is a criminal enterprise, at least certain individuals within it. And this is what they fear most. So I want to, um, I want to just present to you uh, an analogy. If you have a problem with, with an airline ticket, do you call and complain? Do you give them hell? Do you bang on your kitchen table? Do you raise your voice? Of course you do. Because there was an injustice that occurred and you feel slighted. So imagine if you're running for president, you're the sitting president, and you feel like there was an injustice and you're slighted. You call the election officials and you do what you got to do. They're saying this is a vast criminal conspiracy. Hiring lawyers to come with a, with a legal strategy to help you win your election. This is now a, a, a not a federal offense, but it's a... Uh, a criminal offense in Georgia. Absolutely crazy. Now, I want to dip in real quick. President Trump is doing his first interview right now with our friend Greg Kelly from Newsmax TV, and I want to dip into it live just for a second. But one of the things is I told people, Newsmax, did you know that? That was one of my counts. I told people to watch Newsmax. We love it, sir. We love it, uh, Mr. To watch Newsmax. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, but, uh, I, I hope you... I hope you don't get charged. You'll probably get charged because I mentioned your name. So, uh, but I think you'll be okay. I think it's a badge of honor, quite frankly. And uh, let's see what happens. Uh, Mr. President, uh, the debate last night, uh, I'm sure you caught at least some of it. Uh, did you see a potential vice president on that stage? Did you really see somebody who might be eligible? And overall, what'd you think? Well, first of all, I did a interview with Tucker Carlson, who's a terrific guy. And I don't know if you saw the number of views, but it was a record-setting number. It was, they say it could be close to 300 
by the time it finishes. And uh, right now it's up to, I think, $257 million. And it is bigger than the, you know, the biggest ever interview was Oprah with Michael Jackson. I don't know if you know that, but that was, that's the all-time biggest. And I think we've doubled it up. So something's going on. Our country is dying for a good country again. We're a failing nation. We're a failing country. And they're absolutely, you know, they're looking forward to getting back to what we had. I had the safest borders, the biggest tax cuts. We had everything was doing so well. Our military was great. Russia would have never happened with Ukraine. China would never be thinking about it. You know, we had a country that people want to get back to. And that's why we had the Cumpers. Uh, as far as the sage last night, I thought uh, Vivek, as we say, did very well. They called, actually, his name is Vivek, like cake. But I thought he was very good. I especially like where I said I was the greatest president in his lifetime and long beyond. That's pretty good. I said, are you sure he's running against me? But I thought he was very good. Uh, I, I wasn't impressed with a lot. I mean, Christie got booed out of the room. He literally should have walked off the stage. That You know, I've been watching debates for a long time. I've never seen anyone booed like that. Uh, Asa, I call him Ada Hutchinson. He shouldn't uh, even be there. He's wasting room. He's wasting space, and he's wasting time. The guy's got like one half of 1%. And he doesn't stop. And he's a nasty person. You know, frankly, he's very nasty. I don't even know him. He says bad things about me. I don't even know him. But I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I actually like the governor. I respect him a lot. He was great. He endorsed me twice. Uh, the governor of uh, North Dakota, who I thought was, you know, I think he's got something very good about him. He's a high-quality person, considered a very high-quality man. You know, but, uh, uh, you haven't mentioned you know, pretty much. I, I thought I thought a lot of them were way off base. Sure. Uh, DeSantis, you haven't he's become less of a factor, but we'd like to play this for you. Uh, listen to this, if you don't mind. And I can tell you this as your president, I will never let the deep state bureaucrats lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. You bring Fauci in, you sit him down and you say, Anthony, you are fired. So I, I don't know if you could make that out. I think he's implying he said the word coddled. He seems to be accusing you of coddling Fauci. So let me tell you about Ron DeSantis, as I call him. Without me, he wouldn't be governor. He was failing desperately. He came to me, begged me for endorsement. I gave him the endorsement and he went up like a rocket ship. He was failing. He was already out of the campaign. He was being beaten badly by Adam Putnam, who was the agricultural commissioner. And then I had him pass a very hot candidate at the time, a very, very hot candidate at the time in the general election. But he wouldn't have even gotten a nomination. He was down by 35, 40, tremendous amount. And I will tell you that he loved Dr. Fauci. And I'll send you some articles tomorrow. He said, let's not uh, do anything. We don't have the approval of Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci. That's all he talked about is Dr. Fauci. This guy forgets history. The other thing with the sanctums is, and you have to remember this, very disloyal guy, because you don't do that when somebody gets you elected, then you say, yes, I'd be proud to run against him. Oh, that's nice. But I'll tell you, he loved Fauci, but he also locked down his state. His beaches were locked down. His roads were locked down. His hope, you know, he's trying to pretend that none of this stuff happened. Now, if you look at somebody like McMaster, Henry McMaster from South Carolina, if you look at 
uh, Christy Nome of South Dakota. Some of the they really didn't lock down, but Ron locked down Florida. I was there, and I can tell you. And he to pretend he's got Fox behind him, although Fox has now given up on him entirely. I think they're trying to find somebody else. They're looking for somebody else. Just like in 2016, uh, they fought me all the way. At the end, they said, "Oh, we'd love to." First phone call I got was from Murdoch, but the president of China's call first, and then I took other calls, and then I took Rupert. But uh, Rupert's uh, not somebody that uh, he and I don't get along very well. You know, it's very interesting. To go to the World Trade Center. They were going to be a tenant of Trade Center, which was like uh, terrible. I'm talking about the new World Trade Center. They were going to move out of Midtown, their building. And I convinced Rupert not to do it. You're making a mistake. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a wrong look. You have something good. Send your lease and get options to buy and all this. I gave him great advice. And they didn't move. They were all set to move. I'm sure the people at the World Trade Center weren't so thrilled with me. But I got Fox, that whole News Corp, not to move. I was a big favor. Right now, they have a much better location, better building, you know, better everything. I did him big favors, but he's another one. that. So I will tell you that I think that uh, the sanctimonious, if you look at his record, you're going to see something that's so different from what people say. As an example, uh, Florida was third in the nation in death. Now, that's a horrible scorecard. But Florida was third in death. He was a big believer in the vaccines. This guy had lines for miles of people getting vaccines. Now he pretends like, uh, oh, what you think about vaccines? I mean, he really does. I don't want to call people liars, but if you check his record, it's easy. I will send you stories on he said, I'll do anything without the approval of Dr. Fauci. I mean, I have stories all over the place. And then eventually when it became uh, not a good thing to say that, all of a sudden he said, Dr. Fauci, right. who is that? All right. That's President Trump on Newsmax TV live doing his first interview uh, with uh, Greg Kelly reports. And I wanted you to hear a little bit of that to get um, some of Donald Trump's reaction to uh, his uh, fourth arrest in Georgia today. Um fourth indictment overall the first one in georgia absolutely astounding the mugshot is out there and i think honestly i do believe it's going to help him we're going to hear more about that straight ahead plus did putin kill prigozhin we're going to get to that as well and a couple of other items don't go anywhere this is america at night with rich valdez listen to you rich all the time america at night with rich valdez all right familia welcome back we continue our coverage of what's going on with el trompito donaldus magnus the 45th president of these united states el presidente donald j trump and i want to i want you to hear what he said coming off of uh the the plane uh headed over to his uh, indictment earlier today listen to this for being here. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. 
when you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you uh, very soon. All right, again, that's Donald Trump um, saying that uh, this is a very sad day for an American. That's something I agree with. I want to talk about a number of items, but I want to start with this one with uh, retired Brigadier General Blaine Holt, uh, retired from the United States Air Force. He's a C-17 commander, a pilot, and he was the uh, deputy representative to NATO. General Holt, welcome, sir. Always good to be with you, Rich. Thanks for having me on what is, I think, a very tough day for our country. Amen to that, brother. I hear that, and thank you. It's always good to hear from you, too. Let me ask you, um, I, I see what's going on, and uh, I don't know if it's the mugshot or the, the severity of the charges and how far they've stretched the, the, the truth or the law in order to get to this conclusion, but it seems like this is, um, I think it's sinking in with a lot of people, people that are apolitical, people that just don't even care about politics hearing this. I think some of them are swayed by the media and the left saying, okay, sure, yeah, look, this guy is facing 91 counts of this and that and 400 years in jail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think some of them buy it, but I think others are saying, I mean, come on, I don't like him either, but, uh, you know, in Spanish we say, no es pa' tanto, right? <laughs> we shouldn't be doing <laughs> all of that. <laughs> so I think, right, uh, right. I feel like that's where we are. What's your take? Yeah, my take is this. I, I, I'm right there with you. I think that, uh, if anything, this hypocrisy, this lawfare being waged in our nation against a man, and let's be very clear, this is not Republican versus Democrat. This is an establishment versus uh, an outsider to the political system who tried to clean it up. And, and it's what any of us would want our nation doing, which is cleaning up that thing called the swamp. Uh, that we've all been beheld into. And they're now closing ranks, and they don't care what it looks like. They don't care about historical precedent. They don't care about indicting uh, a president on frivolous things. I mean, my God, they tried to impeach the man twice, uh, and yet he still had all the accomplishments that he was able to achieve, despite everybody coming and trying to go grind at him and get him. And so all this has done is galvanize so many people's support around him, and I think last night the numbers were very clear. Uh, people who watched the debates of uh, what essentially amounts to globalists and insiders at 24 million viewers compared to now passing 250 million viewers on President Trump's uh, uh, discussion with Tucker Carlson speaks mm-hmm. for itself. And I know there's many people on the left who can see this for what it is. And they're honest people. And they're like, you know, this is not right. This is not and, and they also understand if this is the new definition of politics in our nation, this will come back their way. You know, General Holt, I look at what's going on and I think to myself, you know, Trump has a way with words. 
and and some criticize him for it, but I, I applaud him for it because I think you know he early on he said, "Look, they're not coming after me; they're coming after you. I'm just in the way." And I think some people bought onto that, and others thought it was hyperbolic or theatrical. But when you really look at what's happening right now, I think more and more people really are opening their eyes to, to that to that sentiment, thinking, "Man, if they can do that right. to this guy that was just in the White House, I don't know, thirty months ago That's or whatever right. it was." Um, absolutely they're coming after us. And, and I always follow that by saying they've been coming after us for a really long time. <laughs> I think it's the That's other right. way around, right? I think they've been coming after the little man and stepping on people from the days of Enron to, you know, going after corporations, whatever, you name it. The government has been out of control for a long time, and now they're reaching the height of their lunacy, if you will, because now they're going after former presidents that disagree with them and challenge them and present a threat to the, in my opinion, criminal enterprise that they run. Uh, and I don't mean That's the right. entire government is a criminal enterprise, but I mean there is a bunch of corrupt individuals in government. And 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 now they're – I'm not going to say they're on the run because I, I don't think they're really fearful. I think they're concerned, concerned that people yeah. are aware, concerned that Trump could threaten them and, and potentially you know um, cramp their style. Um, if they were afraid, I think they'd give up. I don't think they're afraid. I think they're digging their heels in, and that's why they're reacting the way they are. But it, it's yeah. remarkable to me that that's actually happening. So let me just remind the audience again who you are because they can't see you. <laughs> We're on with uh, General Blaine Holt. He's a retired uh, Air Force general. He's the deputy representative to NATO, uh, C-17 commander. He's a pilot. Uh, he's also a tech entrepreneur, and he's a senior contributor on Newsmax. So you've seen him on television and uh, he and I uh, go to the same barber, so you can recognize him that way. <laughs> we, do. He's also, we do. He's, he's also the co-founder of Restore Liberty. Now, General, um, we only have uh, about a minute to go before our first pause, and we'll be coming back. But I want to um, uh, set the stage for this, this discussion that I want to have about Prigozhin. And if you have any other thoughts yeah. on Trump, we could do that as well. But um, sure. I, I, I was on this microphone, I don't know, three weeks ago saying, I don't think Putin's going to do anything to Prigozhin. I just don't think he's going to do it. He doesn't seem uh, like he's taking things very, I don't think he's as strong as people are making him out to be. So I don't know all the facts, but I want you to help explain it to me and school me. And if I was wrong, I was wrong. But folks, we're coming right back with General Blaine Holt. Uh, you know him from Newsmax. Of course, it's me, Rich Valdez. We're here. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to do so. 833-482-5337. 833 833- for Valdez. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. is night. This is Rich Valdez. Прежде всего хочу выразить слово искреннего соболезнования семьям всех погибших. Это всегда трагедия. И действительно, если там находились, вроде первичные данные говорят о том, что там находились и сотрудники компании Вагнер. Хотел бы отметить, что это люди, которые внесли существенный вклад в наше общее дело борьбы с неонацистским режимом в Украине. Мы об этом помним, знаем и не забудем. All right. I know you don't understand what's going on because that's Russian. Many of you don't speak Russian. But that is uh, the Kremlin making uh, an announcement of condolences um, because they feel badly about the death of Prigozhin. Meanwhile, the Pentagon spokesperson, uh, Pat Ryder, General Ryder says that uh, he doesn't have any further uh, information on the plane crash and that he won't be providing any, at least for the time being. Now, our guest is uh, retired Brigadier General Blaine Holt, uh, United States Air Force, former deputy NATO representative. He's a C-17 commander. And you've seen him on Newsmax TV. General Holt, uh, what do you make of all of this Prigozhin business? Yeah, so, I mean, you're looking at uh, revenge is uh, best served on a cold plate, right? So yeah. it's, it's, right a pa- it's a page out of The Godfather where um, now uh, Putin, who, uh, you know, I, I get what Pat said. And Pat's a great guy. He used to work for me in the Pentagon, but he's limited by what he can share on classified information. But really, uh, a a surface-to-air missile was launched at that airplane, knocked the wing off of it, and they destroyed the top leadership of Wagner, which, you know, I thought that this would go down via Prigozhin eating a really nasty bowl of soup, and he wasn't going to make it. Right, but some poisoning. What I think, what I think, yeah, the Russians really, the Russian, the Kremlin wanted to send a very strong message to dissenters that this is what will befall you, and and it's not more complicated than that. And then to try to assuage any Wagner folks inside the country now who are threatening an insurrection against Moscow and other parts of Russia, um, this is he comes to praise him. He comes to say, you know, and what what your viewers heard in Russian was. Um, you know, he made these great contributions in Ukraine. Uh, he lived a very difficult life, uh, and and he met a terrible fate. And that's and that's how Putin praised him going out the door. But but you could have Marlon Brando with a a glass of red wine doing the exact same thing as right. Don Corleone took care of his uh, underlings, and that's what happened here. 
Yeah, and, and again, I, I, I agreed that if it was going to happen, it was probably going to be some sort of like cyanide poisoning or something that was very Putin-esque. Um, I guess you're right in that, he, you know, I was wrong. He did come after him. And, uh, and again, no fingerprints. So go Putin. He does what he does really well. Uh, I underestimated him. Now, do, do you think that there is the opportunity or the possibility of uh, a second in command to Prigozhin that just steps right in and keeps Wagner as being this, you know, um, serious fighting force that they are? Or is that the end of them? No, it's not the end of Wagner at all. In fact, they're recruiting um, folks to join them in a clandestine way in Poland, the UK, Spain, uh, France. Uh, Wagner will move on. The second in command and the third and the fourth in command of Wagner all were in that airplane. So there's going to be a fresh set of leaders that are put there. Um, But no one should see this as anything other than an extension of Russian foreign policy doing the things that their military cannot do, um, creating the types of strife that we've seen in Africa, and, uh, and, and they will continue on. But, but in, this, in this time that we're watching, Belarus has dismantled all the Wagner camps, um, and Wagner will probably be volume down for a little bit. But this is a very critical night that you and I are talking because the Ukrainians are launching a massive assault on the Russians on the line. Mm-hmm. We don't know how it's going to go. 83 units of the Ukrainian military are now openly attacking Russian forces. This, this may be decisive tonight. It could be decisive tomorrow. Um, but the Russians are not dim to that view, and, and, and we will see how it comes out. The Ukrainians are up against almost impossible odds, but um, tonight is the night they've made their move. And uh, and we'll just have to see how it pans out. But but it did not help the Russians that they now have a Wagner problem that they're managing at the exact same time. Now, I think uh, today also marks the uh, independence of uh, Ukraine. Is that correct? That's exactly right, which makes perfect sense as to why they would actually fire themselves up. And if you remember the great Tennyson poem, Into the Valley of Death Rode the 600, that was all about Crimea <laughs> back mm-hmm. back in the day centuries ago and um, and that's that's what you know forget what you think about Zelensky or Putin or whatever right now on the battlefield you have very brave Ukrainians doing what they think is best to retake their land and they're committing everything they have uh, to go to go after that now I know they've blown up one of Russia's main missile bases in Crimea and uh, they're on the ground doing what they're doing uh, for the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 hours or whatever it was since I've seen it reported. And, and like you said, this is going to be a very decisive um, uh, moment in, in this conflict that they have. Do you see this swinging the pendulum in Ukraine's direction? I, I, Rich, I, I want to. I want to so badly, but... The problem is, and, you know, I'm a logistician. I ran logistics for the European theater, for the European command. The, the logistics so far does not add up for the Ukrainians, and they're, frankly, so short of personnel. They've taken such heavy losses since June 4th when this counteroffensive started. But, but that doesn't mean in any way, shape, or form that I don't want to see them prevail. It just means that I can tell you the odds are not stacked with them. And Politically, you have to also understand that President Zelensky, he, he, 
the F-16s coming in a year are not going to make it for him. Politically, he's under a lot of pressure. He's out of time. And so I think whether we want it or not, we're getting an off-ramp to this war. I know our we, you know, reasonable people would say, look, this is a World War I conflict. We need to get to some sort of agreement. But I think right now we're going to see some decisive things happen on the battlefield that are, are going to determine what diplomacy, if any, can, can be achieved in, in the coming weeks. And it's, it's horrific. And, and this is, you know, it's unfortunate because this war has been mismanaged from the get-go uh, from, from Washington. And, and when we look at a World War I battlefield, you, you might ask, where's the air power? And that's something I've asked since 23 February 2022. Mm-hmm. Folks, we're on with Brigadier General Blaine Holt, retired United States Air Force. We're going to continue this discussion, plus uh, your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. We're on with Brigadier General Blaine Holt. You've seen him on Newsmax. He's the former uh, deputy representative to NATO and the founder of Restore Liberty, restore-liberty.org. General Holt, I want to go to uh, America with uh, some questions. Let's go to Frank in Akron, Ohio, WNIR. Frank, go right ahead. You're on with General Holt and Rich Valdez. Uh, thank you, General and Rich. Hey, I think real quick, 30,000 battle-hardened warriors, Russian warriors, is a formidable host. I think uh, Bergosin was flown out of there and it was only made to look like he was destroyed on a plane crash. I think thank you, Frank. him and Putin right. had a had a toast in, 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 in wherever at, and he's given a new ID, maybe plastic surgery. And I think they got other plans, and I think their strategy is brilliant, and it's all for show. Thank you, Frank. Now, General, do you believe that there's a lot of people saying Prigozhin wasn't on the plane? This isn't the way that Putin typically uh, does these types of assassinations. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, it's, listen, <laughs> It's very possible that Prigozhin manifested himself on the airplane, knew there'd be a hit, and they, they, they absolutely have no trouble with, with liquidating nine other members of that staff to go ahead and affect such a thing. Um, here, here's why I don't think that that's so. Prigozhin, if he was valuable, would never be valuable again after this day. Whether he had a disguise or not a disguise, he'd have to live in hiding. He'd never be a problem again in the world. Um, and and Putin, I don't, in the studies that I've done in Putin over my career, I don't see someone who could not liquidate or cashier. It, he could do it to a family member if he wanted to. These are folks that absolutely have no compunction about uh, uh, any problems. But I, I want to refer your listener to 
one thing that Putin said at the very beginning of the war. He can he said in his own words, he can forgive anything in this world except betrayal. And he did say publicly that in his view, Prigozhin betrayed him. And so I, I believe that it would be very hard for me to believe that Prigozhin is alive. And if he is alive, he's not a threat to the world anymore. So with that being said, with Wagner sort of out of the way, um, with Ukraine moving into Crimea, does does this, I guess, does it change much? Uh, I know you said they're kind of outmanned and they're not getting F-16s for another year. And before you answer that, I just want to throw in a, a second part of that, which is should they get these F-16s sooner, which I don't think is going to happen, but should they get them sooner? Who flies these planes? Because most of those guys are trained to fly MiGs. Is it that different? Is it that difficult? School us. Yeah, so so flying the F-16, I, actually, <laughs> even though I'm a heavy pilot, I uh, the Belgians were kind enough during my staff college years to uh, give me five hours in the F-16 MLU. I, I can tell you firsthand experience, it's, it's not a very difficult airplane to master or fly. It's a very difficult weapon system to employ in combat. It's very complicated. It takes time. You know, we have eight Ukrainian pilots that are on the tip of the spear. They speak great English. They're going to be ready, and they're going to be ready in about six months. But, but but that's not the big problem. The problem about employing the F-16 is that it requires a clean runway, a steady parts supply, command and control on the ground, or command and control in the air. It requires really great intelligence. It requires tons of weapons to be flown uh, on uh, under the wings. And so, yes, we can say great F-16, but... There's a tail that comes with this thing that are we willing to put all that together uh, to make this happen? And will it be too little too late? Because we're not even going to see the first one drop the first bomb until April of next year. So, so my point is, is I, I get it, the flash, the propaganda, all of those values. But if we were really serious about giving the uh, Ukrainians formidable air power, well, then why didn't we throw A-10s on the table day one, night one? Um, why did we give them six months, the Russians, to prepare for defenses uh, against the counteroffensive? We, we did all those things. And, and unfortunately, this speaks to either the malevolence or the incompetence of what the administration has done in this war. General Blainholt, absolutely great analysis and uh, doesn't look good for Ukraine right now. I'm, I'm rooting for them so that this can, can be over. Do you think there is you, know, you, you mentioned an off ramp before. How would that look? Do you think Biden finally steps up and says, all right, guys, let's get, come to the table. Let's put an end to the bloodshed. Or will it take uh, a new president to do that, which is, again, um, a year away? More, more no, than I, don't think this administ- I don't think this administration has any choice whatsoever. There's not enough time. Ukraine is, is clearly in trouble uh, militarily. And I think what needs to happen now, regardless of what has happened in the past, we're going to have to get to a place called diplomacy. We should have been there before. We should have deterred this war. Uh, but but we are where we are right now. And where we are right now is it's in the world's best interest to have a nuclear power and the West sit down and decide how do we get this thing to complete. Um, and, and what we will have to understand is that we've got to walk in with no preconditions. And we're going to have to understand that the Russians have interests here too. So all these machinations you've seen over the last six months about, well, all the Russians have to leave and then we can talk. And 
all, all Ukraine has to make these assurances and then we can talk. We just need to sit down and talk. What we need to do is, I'm with President Trump on this. We've got to stop the killing. We've got to stop yeah. the bloodshed. There are people dying in vain. There are women being raped in vain. There are kids being abducted. The, the horrors of war are not being reported here. And, and, and there are well over 500,000 people that are now perished in this thing in a country in ruins. And, and, and we don't have a way out. We've got to go find a way out right now. General, in the final uh, minute that we have, I want you to tell everybody about your work with Restore Liberty and how they could learn more about you and your group. Thank you so much. So restore-liberty.org. We are not blue or red or dim or Republican. We are stand up for the Constitution and our civil liberties, and we educate and we get active in our nation on employing and, and raising up our Constitution. And then your listeners can always find me at Newsmax, and they can find me at this wonderful place I call the Irascible Disruptor, and that's my little blog site on the Newsmax website. And I'll have a, a, a piece coming out tomorrow about this horrific thing called World War III, and do you really want this national security team leading us into that, if, or leading that, or managing that, if in fact we do have to face that. And, and, and so I really uh, just appreciate all of my time on your show. And, and I love your audience. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you folks. That's general Blaine Holt, senior Newsmax contributor. Check him out there. Go to his website, restore hyphen liberty.org restore dash liberty.org. And you could find him on Twitter at the irascible and the rest of the social media general, you're a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot. And I appreciate you. Godspeed. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Till next time. Yes, sir. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, we go back to the phones. Let's uh, check in with Kim. She's in Shields, Michigan on KDKA out of Pittsburgh. Kim, welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you. Boy, uh, another good guest. Um, Thank you. What I wanted to, you're welcome. Um, what I wanted to say, if Prigozhin really is dead, um, Putin is more of a Novichok in the underpants kind of guy. He he likes <laughs> to poison, you know, and, and like the professor and his daughter in England, he sprinkled, he had them sprinkle neurotoxins on their doorknobs and stuff. And that's how he killed them or almost killed them. But, um, and a, a surface to air missile is not so personal. Um, I wonder if, Putin's starting to get afraid, be afraid of the war crimes tribunal charges because it's said that he's afraid to go to free countries now because he's afraid he'll be arrested for what he's done to Ukraine and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, what do you think? If he really is dead, do you think um, the surface to air, air missile not being 
his signature? Right. Do you think he wanted to kind of step back from it? You know, here's what I think. I, and again, I, I don't know a whole ton about this, but I, I do think um, I was wrong in my assessment that Putin wasn't going to retaliate. I do think he might be a little hot under the collar, and that's why he retaliated this way. And I would imagine that while there may be no fingerprints, he was probably responsible and found another group like Wagner or somebody else to do his dirty work for him. So um, I think he's just he's trying to send that message that, hey, you mess around, you're going to find out. And uh, it sucks. Somebody's got to stop him. And sadly, it's not Joe Biden. Folks, we're coming right back. There's more to come straight ahead. People are lying in job interviews, and it's not always the people applying for the jobs. Stay tuned. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And lots to discuss tonight. Of course, the fourth indictment of uh, former President Trump, this one in Georgia, with a mugshot released. It's breaking the Internet. It's all over the place. Uh, Trump released the mugshot himself on Twitter with the note, Election Interference, Never Surrender, DonaldJTrump.com. Simple message. He's not going anywhere. He gave them the death look, the death stare. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to, I feel like it's just going to help him to, to galvanize more votes in this primary. But we'll see how that plays out. I've been wrong before. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. Uh, there's other news as well. We have um, some employers are now lying to people that are applying for jobs. We're going to get to that uh, in a little bit. I also want to talk about the mystery behind so many people just dropping dead. There are stats out there that more and more people are just mysteriously dropping dead. And we're going to get to the bottom of it with Edward Dowd. Uh, He's the founding partner of Finance Technologies, and he's written a book called Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. Edward Dowd, welcome to the program. Rich, thanks for having me on today. So honored to be here. Thank you, sir. Likewise. So I think this is an interesting topic because I know a lot of people are interested in it. What I think is really interesting here is that from what I'm reading, significant portions of these people that are dying are not dying from anything attributed to COVID, which I think is what most people would think, given that we're, you know, just recently post-pandemic. So what is killing the the healthy young Americans? Uh, it's a host of things, but pr- predominantly the sudden deaths are car- cardiac in nature. And uh, they've been occurring with much uh, more frequency amongst the very young since uh, the beginning of 2021. 
the, the first year of the pandemic, about 500,000 Americans died excessively above normal trend death rate. And uh, it was mostly old, older folks. And then in 2021, we had uh, this, a similar amount of uh, excess deaths in the U.S., 500,000 above you know, the five-year historical trend line. But the, the problem was the mix shift. Uh, predominantly, younger folks started to die and take, take up more of that number. Millennials uh, saw 60,000 excess deaths. Gen X saw 120,000 excess deaths. And the mix shifted to, to, to young. And especially in, uh, we found in the employed groups of the country, group life insurance uh, policy saw 40% excess death in 2021. And uh, in the third quarter of 2021, we saw 84% excess death for the millennials, ages 25 to 44. And we also found disability stats that su suggested the same. We added 3.2 million disabled Americans very quickly in an 18-month period from a, a four-year average of around 30. And half of those people were employed. So something happened in 2021 and 22 that seems to be affecting younger age, working age folks that are mostly employed for the most part. So when people pick up a copy of your book, Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022, do they get a conclusion of what may have happened in those years that wasn't the uh, pandemic that would be causing such uh, record number of deaths? Well, so I'm a Wall Street professional and, you know, I pick stocks for a career. Uh, most notably, I worked at BlackRock for 10 years, managed a $14 billion fund. And, you know, we, we'd always come up with an investment thesis. And our job is to predict the future, future earnings, revenue streams. So my, my thesis around what's going on is uh, the only thing that really changed in my mind universally was mandates and vaccines. Now, that's a thesis. Hasn't been 100% uh, proven. A lot of evidence to suggest that. What's interesting is um, I'm, I'm open to other suggestions what might be causing it. I really haven't heard any good explanations, uh, number one. And number two, uh, the numbers now, especially going into 2023, are worse than they were uh, during the pandemic. So we have pandemic-like numbers in terms of excess deaths, disabilities, and now injuries. And injuries appear in terms of chronic illness. And no one wants to talk about it or uh, really yeah, make it a national news story. So... In my book, I offer that as a thesis, and then I conclude and say, look, regardless of whether you agree with me or not, uh, there is, the data that I see, the, uh, the health authorities and the, and the global government see, but there seems to be a cover-up at the moment. And, and that was my thinking, too. Uh, I wasn't really thinking about the comorbidities or the um, just underlying disease, but I thought if we had COVID and we fought it aggressively with vaccines and there have been many vaccines that have caused vaccine injury, not just the COVID vaccine. I know some people who've had a flu vaccine and had facial paralysis as a re result of it or other things. But there were some trends and themes that we saw, recurring themes with the uh, COVID vaccines. So if we if we tug on that thread, what was some of the, um, the evidence that you saw that suggested that vaccine injuries might be playing a part in the sudden cardiac arrest of many young, healthy Americans? Well, we, we did, uh, 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 you know, correlations, not causation, but my team and I did some analysis of the disabilities. And of the 3.2 million that were added in uh, 20, uh, between February of 21 and November of 22, uh, 1.7 million of them were employed. So what, one thing you need to understand about the employed is they're generally much healthier than the general U.S. population because of the very nature of being able to go to work, willing to work, and able to work. And uh, their uh, disability rate upticked 
36% in that time period versus the general U.S. population of 9%. And there was a category called not, uh, not in labor force uh, that uh, basically had the best health outcome, only 4% uptick in disabilities. And we suspect those were the people that either quit. The, 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 not in labor force are those who are willing to work and able to work, but in between jobs. We suspect those are the people who either quit because they didn't want to take uh, the vaccine and or were fired for refusal to take it. So people quit, they're fired. This impacts their overall health and then they become ill and then they die. Is that kind of how? Well, well, the, the, the people, the, the people, no, the people who quit actually had the best health outcomes. The employed had the worst health outcomes which is uh, which has never happened in the history of the U.S. It all flipped on its head. Same thing with mm-hmm. the group life insurance industry. Uh, they had 40% excess mortality. The uh, total U.S. Uh, population had 32% uh, excess mortality. Now, the, the group life insurance industry uh, did a study in 2016 to prove what they already knew because this is a great business. Uh, they, they showed that this age cohort, uh, uh, 25 through 64, in their group life policy uh, uh, industry had one third the death rate of the general U.S. population. So it's a much healthier group, but in 2021, it flipped on its head and there were eight points mm-hmm. worse than the general U.S. population. And so, you know, if it was COVID, you'd have, you have to say it's a very sneaky virus that kind of affects only the employed and the most uh, able-bodied amongst right. us. Right, so you have to kind of break it down. And when you do that, it kind of looks like... Uh it definitely points to vaccines. Now, is there, was there any other evidence besides the the uh, group life insurance data and um, the comparison between the unemployed or employed that would suggest the same? Well, we also saw um, uh, absence data and work time loss from the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, that has exploded in 2022. 2022 and that's where we uh, get our injury estimate from. Uh, and... Uh, we, we estimate, uh, and we have, you know, online at our, our company website, financetechnologies.com, spelled with a PH instead of F. We, we illustrate all this. We have all our backup data and all, all our research. We saw a 12 standard deviation lost work time rate in 2022 uh, above normal 20-year trend. And for those of you who don't know what that means, a, a, a three standard deviation event is uh, from normal, and that happens 0.3% of the time. Uh, you know, 12 to 15 is uh, off the charts. It's a black swan event. So people are calling in sick, missing work, and it's affecting the labor force. And you see a lot of help wanted signs around these days. Wow, folks. Interesting data here. The book is Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. Edward Dowd, uh, for everybody that's listening and wants to pick up a copy of the book, uh, let them know where they can go get it. They can get it at, uh, at, on Amazon, Amazon.com or SkyHorsePublishing.com. My uh, publisher is Skyhorse Publishing. Now, earlier you mentioned you were with BlackRock, and BlackRock has been taking a lot of heat in the news. What's your, your thought on why that's happening? Do you think it's a competitor? Do you think the allegations that they're, they've got their hands in everything and they're part of the global elite that control everything? Uh, where do you land on that? Yeah, so I, I left BlackRock in 2012, and it was a very different firm. They did a bunch of acquisitions and became a different firm. And they basically started to uh, take over what's called the passive indexing market space, ETFs. And they became a $10 trillion asset manager. And mm. in, 
back in the day when I was running the portfolio, I would vote the uh, shares of the company and you know decide whether to award uh, employment benefits uh, compensation to the executives or vote down certain things I didn't like. I made the decision. With passive ETFs, BlackRock picks that up to an executive committee at the top of the firm, and so, so does Vanguard and State Street. They all uh, invest a lot of money in these passive indexes. So the criticism is it's too it's too too much power and too few hands. Now there's no evidence that they've done anything wrong. They do seem to want to promote ESG, which is uh, uh, in the news these days, and and yeah. and DEI, uh, and that has uh, got a lot of people concerned that they're influencing the corporate boardroom too much. And and Charlie Munger of uh, Warren Buffett fame, he's the partner with uh, Warren Buffett. He's written an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about a year ago, suggesting that this is a problem and needs to be examined, and it's a monopoly issue. So that's why I think they're getting a lot of heat. A lot of people are theorizing that since they own, you know, uh, you know almost every company, uh, you know, in the U.S., and a large percentage of it, that they have some sort of undue influence or control. I'm not necessarily sure that's true, but the appearance of it being there is enough to uh, really spook people. Yeah, makes sense to me. Folks, the book is Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. The author, Edward Dowd, he's a founding partner of uh, Finance Technologies. They're a global macro alternative investment firm. Edward Dowd, uh, let everybody know the website where they can find out more about your work. Yeah, so it's uh, financetechnologies.com, spelled with a PH instead of an F. We have something called the Humanity Projects, and we have all of our research uh, done by a great team of PhD physicists, data scientists, uh, myself and others. And it basically uh, uh, covers excess deaths in the U.S., all of Europe, Germany, the U.K., Ireland, Australia. We hope to do Canada one of these days. And we also do a disability project in the U.K., the U.S., absence rate projects in both the U.K. and the U.S., and we also looked at the mRNA clinical trials, and we uh, found this, a similar rate of adverse events in those trials that we're seeing in the real world, which suggests they should have known back then that uh, there was a safety issue and they should have uh, probably not gone forward with the drug. Wow. Excellent information. Edward Dowd, thank you for, for joining us and bringing us up to speed on it. Good luck with the book, Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. Edward Dowd, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Rich. Honor. You bet. My pleasure. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. Your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And your phone calls 
at 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And just a reminder, Open Phone America is coming up at the top of the hour. Make sure you start calling in as soon as you're able to. This way you make it on the show. Sometimes there's a little bit of a hold time. We do have multiple phone lines, but sometimes we leave people hanging at the end of the night, and I always feel bad about that. So the earlier you get in, the better the shot of getting on. And let's hit the phones right now. Let's go to Jim, Las Cruces, New Mexico. K-O-B-E, go right ahead, Jim. Uh, buenas noches. Uh, buenas noches. I, this is ties in with what your guest, the fellow was just on, yes. uh, was talking about. Uh, I remember when, uh, it, you know, they put the uh, warp speed on the, on the COVID vaccine, trying right. to get it uh, in so they could use it on the public as soon as possible. And I remember that Trump announced that, that they were they were going to have America first. They were going to have uh, U.S. citizens be in the front of the line. And I also remember right after that, Bill Gates being angry about that. He did not want to introduce it to the first world. He wanted he wanted to go to places like uh, Africa and have them be in the first line. And then after things started going south, when people started uh, dying mysteriously or developing the blood clots, I think I'm I'm not, you know, I can't, I don't want to talk out of school, but I think that that's what worried Bill Gates. What if this, uh, this, you know, this uh, experimental vaccine, you know, went south on everybody and then all of a sudden, uh, there are all these things that uh, would be embarrassing to, you know, the uh, pharmaceutical right. companies and to him personally. And that's why I think he wanted to use the third world as like uh, the no, testing I'm ground of sorts. Them. I, I'm suspected. Right. No, listen, yeah, I, I understand. That's your observation, your opinion. And, and I think it's a valid opinion. Uh, I, I I, I don't know all of the logistics of where I know Gates has been into this thing with vaccines for a very long time. We actually had a cut here um, a while back of an old talk he did, I think, on one of the TEDx or TED platforms many years ago. And he said something like, we can we can save the world through vaccines or something like that or um, cure the, the, the problem with world population. Just some crazy quote that made me think this is what happens. And at the time, he was the richest man in the world. And it just made me think, sometimes money really gets to your head. You know, it's like one thing to go and buy lots of expensive things and live a grandiose lifestyle. But what what happened with um, just doing the right thing? And, and I think that he, he just, he's off his rocker in trying to, to engineer the world a certain way. And there are people, they get these God complexes that feel like they can fix every ill or and part of fixing every ill is you know, putting people out of their misery sometimes. So it wouldn't shock me or surprise me to go to an underrepresented population in a country that, or even a nation or continent, uh, a part of the world that's not in the West where we have such robust media coverage and free speech. And, you know, we're at the forefront of just about everything. So it, it makes sense to me of why they'd want to do that. And, and I have to say, with when it comes to Bill Gates, I just think he's a strange guy. He's an odd guy. I'd love to have him on the show and, and ask him these questions. I doubt he'll accept the invitation. But, Jim, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. The music means they're kicking us out. And straight ahead, we're going to continue our discussions. And some people are saying that instead of lying on their job application, employers are now lying to them. We're going to find out more about that as Americans face this uh, crisis. 
uh, with the economy and people are looking for second and third jobs. And we see that through the jobs report. Don't go anywhere, folks. I'm Rich Valdez. We're just getting started. Get comfortable. There's more to come straight ahead. Breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, Familia, welcome back. And listen to this. T-Mobile is cutting, let's see, 7% of its employees or 5,000 jobs. 5,000 people are going to lose a job at T-Mobile. Meanwhile, you've got Subway Sandwich, the sandwich chain. They've just been sold. And what's more? Film and television studios are posting artificial intelligence jobs with salaries that are up to a million dollars a year. So clearly, people are losing their jobs, and there's going to be jobs that are going to become available, that people are going to be fighting for. And it sounds to me like there might be more, 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 more people than jobs, but that remains to be seen. The issue is here, what happens once you get to the interview? Because historically speaking... People have, um, you know, embellished on their resumes and there's been lots of things that have, you know, been discussed um, with with job interviews. But there's some reporting out there that's saying that employers are now the ones doing the lying or doing some of the trickery in the interview process. So I want to get to the bottom of all of this with our guest, Julie Bauke. She's the founder and chief career strategist with the Bauke Group, and she wrote the book. Stop peeing on your shoes, avoiding the seven mistakes that screw up your job search. And I want to welcome Julie Bauke. Welcome. Thank you. Always a pleasure. So something we were talking about here um, was the idea of these uh, little white lies that are involved in the interview process. And they're not just coming from one side. They come from both sides. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that and what some of these crazy off-the-wall job interview questions even look like. You know, the, the entire interview process is really kind of two sides trying to put their best foot forward. And what happens when we do that is we tend to embellish. We tend to make things a little better than they were. And really, both sides are doing it, which then leads to a bad hire. And so when you haven't really been honest with each other on what you want, what you're looking for, what you bring to the table, and then you start day one on a job, you're really starting on a false note. And so it's really no surprise that people get in jobs and say, whoa, this really isn't what you told me it was. And then employers say, well, wait a minute, you don't have exactly have the level of skill in this that you told me you did. And so there's, there's just a, a little bit of a miss on both sides. And it just leads to a lot of frustration, a lot of disappointment, and just it just gets everything off. If you think about a marriage, you know, if you started a marriage off like that, you'd end up in the same place. You know, both Hot sides water. would be disappointed and feeling disillusioned. Yeah. Now, there was, there was something uh, in the uh, in the prep sheet that I have. It says, which one of the seven dwarves would you be uh, <laughs> with, with with regard to, to these questions? Oh, and and I'm, I'm hoping to get through that with you because I think it's interesting. <laughs> with some of these crazy stories that were mentioned in the Wall Street Journal piece on human resources asking quirky questions to job applicants. Um, If you don't mind, talk to us a little bit about these questions. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been around long enough in the human resources field and now in the career management field for a long time that what's old is new again. And so back when I was in HR, at the beginning of my career, we always had managers who wanted to ask questions that were really irrelevant to what was required in the job. And so I, you know, reaching back in my memory, I remember when I would have managers say, well, I like to answer, I like to ask them what their relationship was like with their father, because that Mm. tells me how they feel about authority figures. I'm like, it doesn't tell you anything of the sort. You know, that's, (laughs) you know, I mean, so these, I think managers, interviewers like to play amateur psychologists, because what they're trying to do, at, at the very bottom line here is, they're trying to make a good hire. Right. And they don't know how to do it. And they might be okay at discerning whether you have the skills to do the job. But, but the piece that they're always trying to get at is, are you going to be a good hire? Are you going to fit in here? Are you going to be successful here in our culture? And those types of things are so hard to figure out in an interview process. And so individual interviewers resort to Crazy questions. Like, what do you hear? So, so if I say to you, of the seven dwarfs, which one would you, which one are you? The, the question then is, what are you going to do with that answer? What if they say, I'm grumpy? Well, now what? Does <laughs> yeah, that mean right. you're a good hire? Is that good or bad? Or a bad hire? <laughs> so it's, it's, you might think you're being clever when you ask questions like this, but all you're really doing is you're not getting useful information out of it. You might right. think you are, but, but I would say that'd be very hard to prove. And you probably are potentially also opening yourself up for, you know, a a bias, discrimination, a lawsuit, because it doesn't kick and tie to how well you're going to do the job. There's no data behind it. And so people are out there just pulling stuff out of the air and it's just, it's not leading to the outcomes that, that they're trying to get at, which is a good hire. Very interesting stuff. Folks, we're on with Julie Bauke. And Julie, there's so many Americans out there <clears throat> that are, you know, in, in a unique position, right? Despite whatever we hear from the government, whether it's the jobs report or economic data that comes out, there are real people in real life, right? And this program has a lot of listeners and the ones that call in share things. But there's also a bunch that leave me notes on social media and they send me direct messages. And I know of a listener, uh, HR administrator two master's degrees, does a phenomenal job in her field, was at a company for a long time, and isn't there anymore. And has had a lot of trouble landing in a new place because demand isn't the same because people are downsizing like crazy. So one thinks, well, HR people would be ideal in that moment because, you know, when you're firing people, you need HR people. But this person's role was specifically a um, benefits administrator. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, and this is just one story of many Americans that are out there, but how do you advise someone that's, you know, trying to get back into their field, how to leave the field to maintain a position that would help them um, maintain their lifestyle, but wants to get back into their field? What say you? So, you know, one of the things we are not good at as human beings is thinking about ourselves creatively is seeing outside of the box that we have ourselves in. So when I hear about somebody who's a benefits administrator, I say to myself, all right, this person knows benefits and they're probably good at kind of sort of the the administration part of things, the the details. So if you you could work 
as a benefits administrator inside a human resources department working in benefits administration for your employer for your employee group. But also your knowledge of benefits. There are so many benefits providers out there who are brokers who would really love to have somebody who understands the ins and outs of benefits because it's complex. And so I would tell mm. this person if they were if she was sitting across from me, I'd say, look, okay, you have to separate your knowledge and your skills from your company and your title. So what is it that you're able to do and how, who would be, who would want it? And so you have to start thinking like around yourself. You used to be in HR. If I were this person, I'd say, okay, I'm still going to apply for HR jobs. I'm still going to network with and build relationships and go to HR meetings, et cetera. I'm going to broaden my search. And I'm going to say, where else is my knowledge valued? How can I pivot, still use what I know, but do it maybe in a different way, in a different place? And it's so hard. We get so stuck in how we see ourselves. And that's where, when you ask people why they stayed for years in jobs that made them miserable, they will say things like, first is fear. You know, they, they, they're afraid sometimes, or a lot of times, to make a change. Fear is still part of this, but one of the biggest things I hear is, I didn't know what else I could do. In other words, I felt stuck. And that's where we cannot, we have blind spots. And this is why, you know, we, we, and so what I tell people is, if you feel like you're stuck, go talk to the people who think highly of you professionally and get their input on what they think you're good at and get, you know, a team of people around you, get a coach who can help you see your possibilities is if you're saying I'm a benefits administrator, it's all I've ever known how to do. And there's no demand. I'm I'm not saying there isn't, but in this example, let's say there is a waning demand of benefits administrators inside of companies. You have to broaden, you have to broaden your thinking because if, if it's a shrinking pool of jobs, it's going to take you longer. So where else could you work? Who else could you work with would value who you are and what you bring to the table? And mm-hmm. that's what we have to be doing with ourselves at all times. Careers now are a constant reinvention. Julie Bauke, stick with us. I want to continue uh, with this uh, other piece that I saw here where the discussion is on little white lies and managers revealing fibs that they're telling during the hiring process. <laughs> kind of like the crazy seven dwarf stories, but with a little different twist on it. Folks, Julie Bauke is our guest. She is... Um, fantastic at what she's doing, obviously, and the founder and chief uh, career strategist with the Bauke Group. And she's also written the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoid the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. We're coming right back with Julie Bauke. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. 
All right, familia, welcome back. Now, you know, there's a lot of reports on the jobs, and, you know, Biden will tell you they're up. Everybody else will tell you they're down. Just check your pocket and see if you're making more money now than you were before. I think something like 72% of Americans in, in, uh, in a poll that's been out since April, they believe that America's headed in the wrong direction. And, and uh, most of it's focused on, on the economy and, and really themselves, right? Their outlook on are they better today than they were um, four years ago? And jobs play such an important role. And as people are out there looking for work, trying to improve their situation, they are faced with the hiring process, which is a daunting process. Listen, I got to tell you, I, was, I looked for radio jobs in the past, and they're not easy to come by, number one. And number two, when you're out there looking for a radio job, you know, it took me a whole like revamping of my LinkedIn page to make it like all radio all the time because I had some experience working as an administrator in in higher education and in government, state government. And I needed to put the emphasis on radio. But the point I'm saying is it's so difficult, kind of like Julie Bauke, our guest just mentioned, people have a blind spot and they just don't know what they don't know. So it's important to, I think, have these types of conversations to kind of bring that to the forefront. But listen to this. A new survey of 1,000 managers and business leaders by ResumeBuilder.com found 36% of hiring managers say they lie to candidates during the hiring process. <laughs> you would have thought it's the exact opposite, right? Uh, it's the candidates that are lying. But no, of that group, 75% said they lie during the interview. 52% reported they lie in the job description. And 24% they lie in the offer letter. Wow, Julie Bauke, what say you? Oh, gosh. Oh, where to begin? Where to begin? We, we could we could take this topic of today's workplace and go, we could do a marathon for 48 hours on this and never run out of, out of topic. Um, let, let me give a little background before I get to that question. You know, the unemployment rate is still at about 3.5%. And so there is, when it, there's a lot of information here that doesn't seem to correlate. So the unemployment rate is still pretty low, and employers will still tell you they're having a hard time finding people that have the skills they need. So there's a very significant skills mismatch between what employers are looking for and what job seekers have. And so there's there are it, we are it, it's a, it's a mess, and there's a million reasons for this that we could you know go on for hours about, but. So now what happens when you have, in a lot of, depending on the jobs, of course, I mean, it's, it's hard to broad brush this because if there are certain areas, certain professions and industries where there's a lack of talent mm-hmm. and there are plenty others where there's too many people for the jobs that exist. And so it, it's not a one size fits all. But what happens when you in general have a situation where employers are desperate for people with certain types of skills and abilities they will perfume the pig and they will stay things, and they will again, try to make it better than it is because they figure once I get you in the door, You're it's going to be harder for you to leave. <laughs> right. right. And it happens in professions where there is a lot, you know, there's, there, there's great demand. So one of the things that I talk about is something called a signing bonus and what what happens is organizations sometimes they will throw money at people to get them into jobs in which they're having a really hard time finding people. And it's such a short-term solution. It's a very short-term solution because money and hiring bonuses, it's very appealing up front 
and very like, ooh, I'm going to get five, six, seven thousand $7,000. But then if the person comes in, normally if you get a signing bonus, for example, you're expected to sign something that says, if I leave before X number of days, months, whatever it is, I have to pay it back. So employers are using things like this to get people in the door because they know they at least have them for a short period of time because you're probably going to go out and spend that hiring bonus. And so it's this, it's, I'm just, it's just, it's the attitude that I'm just going to keep front loading them. I'm just going to keep putting them in the pipeline, putting them in. Somebody will stay, darn it, out of these five people I just hired. And it's such a short-term solution. But in certain professions, when it comes to hiring, employers are desperate. And so they're doing anything they can to bring people in the door, including hoping you'll forget what they said in the interview. And you won't want to leave because you just started. And so there's just a lot of bait and switch, I think, that goes on on both sides, especially in times when, when um, employers really are. It, it, so, so, in, so when an employer is very short, shorthanded and their people are quitting and they can't keep people, they'll do all kinds of things to get people in the door. And it's like, well, I'll wor- once they say yes, I'll worry about it once they get here. On the and other ultimately, side. Well, I was just going to say, ultimately, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? So while people think, well, I'm embellishing on my resume, I'm saying I did X, Y, and Z, and I didn't really, I only did A, B, and C, they're doing the same thing, right? Everybody's hustling each other, which is uh, what, what I find so remarkable about the story and how honest it is, what you were saying. I was just saying, take, think about 2008, and when it was very much, and the employers had all the leverage, and they utilized it, and they utilized it in bad ways. Like they, you know, I, I knew back then I had so many friends and coworkers right. and colleagues and clients who were, they, I mean, they literally were doing everything they could to hang on to jobs, even if those jobs were absolutely miserable. Yeah. Julie Bauke, hang on one moment. We got to take a quick pause and come back and finish our talk on Miserable jobs back in the 2008 crisis. Folks, we're on with Julie Bauke, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Julie Bauke. She's the founder and chief career strategist at the Bauke Group and author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. Julie Bauke, I want you to quickly wrap up that really interesting story you were telling us about the advice you were giving your friends during the 2008 uh, financial collapse. Well, what was going on during 2008 is employers had all the leverage. And so they were wielding that in, in not a great way. Like, oh, you don't like it? You don't like the way you're being treated? Go ahead and leave. I have eight people in line to take your place. Right. And so the pendulum was very much in the employer's court back in 2008. Today, we have a different gener- we have different numbers in the workforce. We have people retiring quickly, quite quicker than ever. We have Gen Z who has a completely different attitude about work. And so we've got kind of a big step pool here of stuff going on in the workplace and it's got to work itself out. But what is always true is basic econ 101. 
supply and demand. If what you have, if you have AI skills and experience, you will get that $900,000 a year job. If what mm-hmm. you're doing is not in demand anymore, you will not. And so it is up to you and you alone to manage your career and make sure you keep your skills sharp. Folks, that's Julie Bauke. She's a founder of the Bauke Group. Check out her website, thebaukegroup.com. That's B-A-U-K-E group.com, thebaukegroup.com. Julie Bauke, thank you. Thank you. You bet. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up next. Pull up a chair, get on the phone, get online, because we're going to tear it up in, I don't know, three or four or six minutes. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And, of course, the big story of the day is Donald Trump was uh, indicted in Georgia, his fourth indictment, and this one released a mugshot. Now, the mugshot, there's been so many mugshots working their way on the Internet. I shared one earlier, and I was going to caption it, the... Mugshot is as fake and phony and fraudulent as the indictment itself. But instead, I captioned it. I'm standing with El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente, Donald J. Trump. And and boy, did he um, come out swinging. He walked in there with a degree of cachet and class, in my opinion, uh, that was um, resolute. He was just resolute, you know, again, uh, portraying the the. I guess the courage that you would want somebody to that leads your country to have going into this um, witch hunt, if you will. And um, we played the audio on that earlier. We also uh, caught a little bit of the live interview that he did with Newsmax about uh, two hours after the indictment. And he did the first interview with Newsmax TV with Greg Kelly, who's been on this program, he's a great broadcaster and former colleague of mine at WABC in New York City. And I can tell you that uh, Trump was was jovial. He was cheery for the most part. And um, Greg Kelly asked him, what was your day like today? And uh, Trump walked us through it. And I want you to listen to this. The fourth time uh, you were in custody today. It's totally absurd, uh, in my opinion. But uh, what was it like? How do they treat you? What was the experience like today in, in jail? Terrible experience. Uh, I came in, I was treated very nicely, but uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. I took a mugshot, which I never heard the words mugshot. That wasn't, didn't teach me that at the Wharton School of Finance. And uh, I have to go through a process. It's uh, election interference. You know that better than anybody. You cover it so well. You just a fantastic job. I have to tell you for the listeners, fantastic job, Greg. But, it's a very sad experience, and it's a very sad day for 
our country. This is a weaponized Justice Department. And all of these indictments and cases, I have a couple of cases that are not indictments, they're just cases where you have these left lawyers suing uh, on like a woman that I never saw before other than that case. she took a picture 25 years ago on a, uh, on a line, on a uh, contributor's line or something, or charity line. Uh, everything, it's just like one thing after the, uh, the next. And what they want to do is they want to try and wear you out, which never do. But they want to wake people about just an absolute horrible thing that they're doing. And I've never seen anything like it. This is third world country. And I really believe they're getting hit by it. You know, we were going, there were tremendous crowds in Atlanta. And they were so friendly, so friendly. But this is a radical left district attorney, as we have in New York and as we have in all the other places, whether it's district attorney or AGs, we have that in New York. They're going after all for nothing. I mean, the AG case, they have no case against me at all. They do it to try and get elected, but they also do it in, in court with the Department of Injustice in Washington. Terrible thing. It is a terrible thing indeed. And it's not because they're doing something bad to a, a guy that I like. That has nothing to do with it. This is about people that wield power, right? The people that are in office using their political might to go after someone, to slow down an election, to slow down this primary, to tarnish a man, to destroy a man, to try to imprison a man with these ridiculous charges. Look, all I could say is this. If you're an outsider looking in and you don't like Trump, this isn't about Trump, but if you, you don't like him and you think, oh, good for him, you know, he deserves it, all the things he did, stop and ask yourself, why is it that he's not being charged with any of the things the media says he's done, but instead he's being charged with like criminal conspiracy with the RICO Act that they've modified at the state level, saying that he ran a criminal enterprise to overturn an election, when clearly, to me it's clear, he's within his rights. I mean, I just, I, I can't get the gist of that through my head. We've seen it before. We've seen Al Gore with the hanging chats. We've seen Stacey Abrams, who still to this day says she won't concede. She hasn't conceded. Uh, there, there's so many people. Hillary Clinton who said it was a stolen election and, and then went on to say he's an illegitimate president. And they claimed he was illegitimate. They did the same thing to George W. Bush. And it seems like when the Democrats say that the election was, was uh, not accurate, the election was stolen, there, there was no lawsuits. There was no indictments. There was no anything. But now all of a sudden... We're putting a man, they're trying to put a man in jail, not once, twice, thrice, but four times. Four times he's been indicted on all sorts of silly things. The fact that he, he, he made a $130,000 payment to his attorney and his attorney in turn used that money to pay an adult film star that was saying that he had um, had an affair or whatever the case was. And then she admits under oath that that did not happen, that she'd never had any relations with him like that. Uh, but yet, Stormy Daniels, her admission, none of that mattered, right? That didn't make any big headlines. What mattered was that that he paid his lawyer and they claim, the prosecutors, that this was an expense related to his campaign, not a legal expense. And therefore, he was trying to fudge the documents and, and hide it as, as an expense. Meanwhile, he's a married man. So it, it's it's not a political import to try and quiet this situation. 
it's it's a settlement uh, or an NDA payment or whatever, what have you, because he's he's a mogul, he's he's a celebrity, and he's a married one. And who wants that type of noise out there, especially if all it's going to cost you is 130k, and you're worth three or four billion dollars. People do that stuff all the time. This is why people sue their jobs when they get you know wrongful termination. Whatever. They never win those cases. The employers just say, you know what, rather than go to court for three, four, five years and see what happens in a trial, let's just offer them some money to go away. If this happens all the time. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I just think this is just so absurd. The basis of these indictments are absurd. And, and yet there's still people that are buying this stuff. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. I see we've got calls from, let's see, wow, Oregon, Georgia, Maryland, and North Carolina lining up, and a couple of more lines are flashing right now. So we're going to get to that straight ahead. I want to give you the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I want to go to the phones we go. Let's see, where do we go? Let's see, right here. Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A. Let's check in with Michael. Hey, Michael, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Good talking to you again, your friend here in Oregon, Michael. Um, yeah, you know, I think most Americans have an opinion on the events of today. Uh, I feel very bad for President Trump and uh, going through that. Um, in all honesty, I wouldn't want to see President Biden go through that. I I wish President Biden and the Democrats uh, well. I really do. But my hope is they'll make decisions that are good for America. Uh, to borrow an expression from our friend Jimmy Fale, I, I listen in the mornings, uh, like a lot of Americans. He has a great show like yours, Rich. And he says a lot of times we're all on the American team. And I wish we could find a way to work together, uh, you know, to try to make our country the best it can be. Um, you know, and I care about all Americans. I, I think um, I'm sounding like a politician, but I think. You know, most blacks, most Hispanics, most Asians, most whites are really good people. They're just trying to do the best they can. And, uh, you know, and that's like me. I'm trying to do the best I can, uh, you know, be the best I can be to help help my country. Um, you know, I support the police, uh, our first responders, firefighters, brave men and women that do those jobs. Uh, I think they need our support every day. That, that's my take on that. Um, but. Like I said, Rich, it's a sad day uh, for our country, and I think about other countries, foreign countries, how they're looking at this. Uh, and it's like, Rich, you know, what's happened to our country? You know, and, you know, I turn to you for your input. Well, listen, I'm with you on that one. 
I think that this is a uh, th- there's been so many sad days for our country. And, and I say that with, um, with with a bit of a heavy heart and, and kind of like, a, yeah, no mas type of attitude. Right. Uh, it's easy to want to give up when, when you're kind of getting beaten down by by this stuff, because, again, ultimately, I mean, there are people that are never going to come your way. Right. There are people that are never going to agree with you. And I think that's OK. It's OK to have disagreement. What's not OK is uh, to pervert the system to get your own results. You can use the system uh, to get your results the way the system needs to be used, even if you can find like a loophole in the system, you know, like with the tax laws and whatnot. I think that's it is what it is, right? Um, I have a buddy who's a plumber. He's done, he's, had, he's always done well, but he had a phenomenally good year last year because he got a new contract with a new client. And his accountant told him, you're going to get smashed in taxes if you don't make another hundred or hundred and fifty thousand dollar expense for your business that we could write off and again nothing illegal about that it's just being smart so he went out and bought a very expensive car uh like a suv type of car and that he uses for his business and he was able to to save some money on his tax bill now for someone to come and say you know you're skirting the law you're not paying taxes no it's not true he's paying his taxes he's just using the regulations the way they work and and making them work for him and i think that that's smart what I don't think is, is, is smart, wise, or, or proper is to, to use the government to weaponize the legal system, to weaponize the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, to say that parents that are attending school board meetings are violent domestic extremists and that, that you need to have um, DHS, Department of Homeland Security officials, following moms that were complaining at school board meetings because they didn't like a particular aspect of the curriculum, to have... FBI uh, informants embedded in churches because they call them rad trad, radical traditional Catholics that are uh, attending Latin mass. Uh, I think all of these things are, are egregious, not the least of which is using the FBI to uh, uh, illegally obtain, a, not a wiretap, but a surveillance from the FISA court to, to spy on Trump. And, you know, people don't, may not like the word spy, to surveil, to listen in, to whatever it is, that's what they did. Right. And that that's that's been proven uh, both in in through Mueller and through um, what is that man that everybody was. I'm forgetting his name. Anyway, as I try, draw a blank on the name of the the last report, John Durham, thank you, John Durham's report. Very clear. Right. You had these FBI attorneys that were forging documents in order to get the result they wanted with Trump. This is just out of control. This is that that is a real criminal enterprise. That's a real conspiracy to not only just undermine the authority of the sitting president, but in my opinion, they do this all the time and they're doing it now. They're doing it to slow down this election, to try to destroy Donald Trump because they don't like him. But ultimately, I think what you're doing is destroying a system and creating precedent for when you don't like somebody or you have a political opponent then this is exactly what you can do to stop them. And I think that's 100% wrong, Michael. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, you've seen this in foreign countries, uh, you know, third world countries, like you mentioned, Rich, uh, quite often. I mean, we're America. It's not supposed to happen in this country. Uh, you know, it's like Ronald Reagan used to say, uh, call us the city, uh, the shining city on a hill. You know, so the rest of the world, I used to like that Reagan had so many good sayings. And it's like, how do we look to the rest of the world, you know? Oh, absolutely. 
And I think you're right. And Reagan had the best sayings out there. I mean, he's just um, he's a classic. But for Reagan, I wouldn't even be here today, honestly. It was him, his sayings, his humor, his quotes, my mother's affinity for Reagan, and and so much of seeing Reagan as a kid that uh, I said, yeah, I got to learn more about this guy and always had an interest in President Reagan. So thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Let me see. Where do we go here? We go to Eastern North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. Hello, Rich. About this hey. uh, plane cr- How are you doing? Hello? I'm doing great, man. I'm having a great day. How about you? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot to ask you that. Yeah, it's been really hot down here, um, except for yesterday, or today and yesterday. But anyway, um, that plane crash in, in Russia, which uh, I'll try to say his name, Yevgeny Prigozhin or something? Prigozhin. Prigozhin, right. I was on my phone for Newsmax, but I... I'm on the phone now with you. But anyway, every crash in the United States, there are FAA investigators, right? Don't they go look for DNA to identify the victim? Because I've heard conflicting reports that he was on the plane, he was not on the plane. And what do you, what's your opinion? Listen, I, I don't have any reason to believe he wasn't on the plane thus far. Um, to me, it, it seems like um, I was wrong and that Putin wasn't going to go and get him, and they got him. I can't see why they would fake a death. And we talked about it earlier with General Holt. And, and he, uh, his opinion was that it, it would be very difficult for Prigozhin to do anything unless he had a fake identity and a fake name. And, and for what? To try to avoid being killed. He said if Putin believed that he was faking his death or, or hiding somewhere, he would go and kill every member of his family. And, and they know that that's how Putin rolls. So I think his opinion was that it's probably safe to, to presume that that's happened, although he said it's, it's, it's a possibility and that, you, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion. As far as the DNA stuff, I mean, a missile to a plane, I don't know what's left at the end of it. I don't know how far that goes. So I, I, my suspicion is good luck finding any evidence, you know, at a crash site, because it's not really a crash. It, it, it blew up in the air and then pieces flew in different places and landed in different places. So that's um, the, the understanding that I have. And um, again, I got to say, Putin's more ruthless than I, I gave him credit for. And I, I, I was already considering him to be a tyrant to begin with. But in this situation, it seems like he went a little overboard. Now, some are saying this isn't Putin's style, that he's not um, doing his typical poisonings and what he would typically do. Uh, but I can tell you, we played the audio of Putin earlier, kind of um, eulogizing Prigozhin, and he, he sounded incredibly uh, contrite. So it, to me, it seemed like um, it was a Putin I hadn't seen before. He looked overly, overly um, apologetic. And that for me was like, hmm, he probably did it. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. I see we got calls from Georgia and from all over the country coming in. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. If you want to chime in on social media, feel free to do it there. At Rich Valdez with an S. At Rich Valdez with an S on all the social media. And, of course, the music means we're coming right back. There is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussion on Trump and the crazy Prigozhin story, as well as everything else we talked about tonight. And remember, if you missed anything, check it out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. All right, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Evgeny Prigozhin appears dead. Yeah. Today, suspiciously, his plane fell from the sky, which is the type of thing that many people have been predicting for some time. As a presidential candidate, what do you think is the right message to be sending about Vladimir Putin? Well, the, the right message about Vladimir Putin is he's a war criminal. And, and, and you have a one in 11 million chance of dying in a plane wreck. And two months after uh, Prigozhin tries to overthrow uh, Vladimir Putin, he just miraculously falls out of the sky. And there's somebody happened to be in a field recording it. Come on. This is one more example of how you cannot trust Vladimir Putin. And we should be doing everything within our power to help the Ukrainians win the war. And win the war means pushing them, pushing the Russians out of all of Ukraine to include Crimea and the Donbass. This is something that, that Joe Biden uh, doesn't believe in. And for 5%, of the DOD budget, the United States of America has been able to help the Ukrainians dismantle the Russian military, and we haven't had to send our sons, daughters, or spouses. Uh, to me, that sounds like a pretty good deal. The issue is not about the size of the support, it's the speed, and we should be getting all the equipment to the Ukrainians in order for them to win this war. Okay, that's uh, Will Hurd. I think, yeah, he, I don't know if he's still in Congress, but he was a congressman. Uh, if he is, I don't know why they keep electing him. Anyway, he was on CNN today uh, making this statement, and, and this is one where I agree with him in so much as, yeah, you can't trust Putin. Putin is uh, a little insane in the membrane, if you will. Let's, uh, let's go to John in Cumming, Georgia, WDUN. Go right ahead. Ah, Mr. Valdez with an S. How are you this evening, sir? It's Valdez, but yes, I'm doing great. Thank you, sir. All right, Valdez, I apologize. <laughs> Nonetheless, I have been not listening to all night, but uh, have been paying attention to TV and stuff. A couple things on my mind real quick. You know, um, starting with Trump. I mean, geez, for him, I'm in Atlanta suburb, okay? So for them to even aggravate him themselves and then mugshot him, come on, give me a break. He ain't going anywhere. But more importantly, mm-hmm. in the United States, if it's, it's, if it's a criminal charge I mean over six months of jail time then you have to have a jury there is no jury in the United States going to find 12 out of 12 going to find him guilty on any of the 91 charges that are going on it's unfortunate what they're doing I think it depends on where you have the case Uh, I don't know Fulton County you might know it a little bit better than me Uh, I know that these cases like the, the one that Jack Smith brought that case is going to be heard in in Washington D.C. and I think in Washington D.C. you can definitely find twelve out of of every twelve that are going to go against Trump because um, clearly they're going to do what they can to pick the the jurors that they want, even if his attorneys don't approve. I think he's uh, the, the deck is stacked against you in, in D.C. But maybe you're right in Fulton County, and I hope that's the case. Uh, but I still believe in the Supreme Court. I think no matter how politicized they have become. They, they've, they've messed up a few, but they've gotten a few right. And I, I can't see them being the ones that are the final arbiters of, of jurisprudence in America and saying, yeah, yeah, no, we're going to let all these, these uh, excessive prosecutions go. And, and they, did, they did so in the past, and we've seen it with Jack Smith's record, and I think we're going to see the same thing again. In fact, that's, I think, why they picked Jack Smith because he's like an expert in bringing these cases that can get a conviction 
and then get overturned. <laughs> and I said, they said, that's our guy. That's exactly who we need. We don't care if he really goes to jail. We just need to make it look like he's going to jail. And when he doesn't go to jail, we'll say he skirted justice yet again. This guy's a criminal. But uh, I, I think uh, I, I'm hopeful that you're right and I'm wrong on that one. Well, only two states in the United States, uh, Louisiana and some other state, have that particular clause. But I'm no lawyer, so we'll go with that. The second thing that was on my mind is, you know, we're screwing around with Ukraine. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now, in, in World War II, you know, after reparations and what have you, we insisted that Germany, for example, had to repay us back for at loaning them rebuilding. You know, we're giving away all this money to Ukraine. Well, in the United States, our people are starving. We've got uh, the issues in L.A., San Fran, wherever, New York, I guess, up in your neighborhood. Okay, probably downtown Atlanta, for all I know, of these starving people. In the meantime, we're giving this stuff away. That is insane, because Sleepy Joe is sitting around, screwing around, if I were him, I would pick up the phone and say, wait a minute, with all those nonsense that happened yesterday with the jet that <laughs> allegedly crashed, <laughs> um, I'd pick up the phone and say, hey, Chief, what do you stand on this matter? Sleepy Joe is a dove. He could do squat, you know? And by that being the case, that just shows our weakness again. And we've had that weakness for so long, for at least three years. Okay, God, I hope it doesn't happen for eight, seven more, or four more, where the hell it may be. And that uh, we can get, first of all, we don't give away. Let's loan these people money. We may never collect it back. If you Good look point. again, going, going back to Germany, they paid us, I think, one-third back of what we, quote, loaned them, okay, since World War II, all right? And I'm a, I'm a uh, Vietnam vet, not, not a career. Well, thank you for your service, to. Robert. Uh, John, excuse me. That's okay, and thank you. Um, but Sleepy Joe sitting around doing jack. If he picked up the phone, in my opinion, say, hey, Chi, what do you want to do with this nonsense? I think Chi would probably, in the ultimate end, agree with us that this is no way to operate Letting Putin pull that nonsense last night, regardless of if it's true or not, it's what it appears. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, say, all right, hey, U.S., we agree with you. We're tired of his nonsense. Hey, do what you want to do. Or, obviously, I'm not talking nuke here. But right, right. let's go in there. <laughs> Ukraine is not a NATO country, unfortunately. Okay, All right. And, you know, John, one of the things that, that you said, and I think it's, it's important, is I, I do think that China uh, is kind of backing Russia only because I feel like China is at the top of the proxy war, just like the United States is at the top of the proxy war. And I think, in effect, we're really kind of we're fighting against the power interest of China, who is claimed to be buddy buddy with with Russia and Putin. In the past, and occasionally they'll back up to try and, you know, save some face here and there in the international community. But 
they, they've early on they said, look, we're going to continue to lend Russia money, or we'll allow that to uh, continue. We're not cutting them off financially when the United States and allies were were putting sanctions and freezing accounts and whatnot. So I wouldn't be so quick to say that that President Xi would would call a, 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 an end to this. I think he's out there saying that so that he can look like a hero. And ultimately, of course, he can put an end to it if he's, in fact, um, you know, providing support, material support to Putin and to the Russians. So I do agree with you 100 percent that Joe Biden has been an absolute failure, an absolute failure when it comes to leading the country domestically and in particular on foreign policy. Uh, I'm no foreign policy expert. Um, I, I have an interest in it, but. I can tell you that this doesn't look good for America. We've got a black eye right now when it comes to leadership. Joe Biden's dropped the ball. He's allowing this potential World War III scenario to continue to play out. He's very slow to the game, very, very um, almost calculated in allowing the Russians to continue to have an advantage. And it's lamentable, honestly. And I would say, you know, we don't call him Beijing Biden for nothing. So to me, it seems to all fit full circle. John in coming Georgia, WDUN. Thanks for the call. Folks, more from you guys straight ahead, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio's ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, familia, welcome back. And we continue with our discussion. In last night's debate... There was a commentary from Ron DeSantis, and he was discussing what is going on in Ukraine. Check this out. Is there anyone on stage who would not support the increase of more funding to Ukraine? We would would not support it. Europe needs to step up. I mean, I would have Europe step up and do their job. Mr. Ramaswamy, Europe... But you're saying you would not, too, Governor DeSantis? I will have Europe to p- pull their weight. Uh, right would, now, they're not doing you that. You would not support and I think more we need to like do, no to And I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. And I would have support in China uh, to, be able to, take, uh, to be able to take China um, and do what we need to do with China. So that's what's going on there. Of course, uh, we've been discussing the missile that shot down the plane carrying, uh, I think, nine members of the Wagner group, the uh, mercenary group that's been wreaking havoc in Ukraine on behalf of the Russians and then walked out in a power play, in a coup, if you will, against Putin. And everybody's saying he's going to be dead soon. Putin's going to get him. And I said, ah, Putin's, he's fake, he's phony, he's fraud, he's, he's not going to do it. Well, and I knew he would do it, like that he could do it. Uh, I just didn't think he was going to do it because of 
the distraction with the war and whatnot and Wagner having so many troops at their disposal and popularity with the people. But I uh, underestimated Putin and Prigozhin's dead. He's dead. And again, some people say we don't have DNA. We don't know. Don't believe the hype. Fine. I, I can go with that, too. But as of now, it seems like he's dead. And according to sources uh, that we've had on this program, it seems pretty accurate. So let's go to the phones. Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Robert, go right ahead. Yes, I just wanted to let you know that don't count on Vladimir Putin to do what he's always done in the past. What he does, and, and I lived in, in a city in, in Dresden for 17 years after he lived there for five years, and I knew a lot of people knew him. I could have easily gotten to know him, but I didn't because I knew he, we had opposite ideas. But in any case, I just want you to know that what he does is he looks at the situation, thinks about it very carefully, and then puts business before pleasure every time and does what he thinks is in his best interest, regardless of what that may happen to be. This guy, for all I know at this point, could be alive and well and, and getting ready to be a totally different person with a totally different identity if he and Putin had worked it out. It's not probable, but it's certainly possible. And, and to give you an idea with regard to, to the relationship between um, uh, Fidel Castro and, and the Soviet regime, they tried to, to get rid of Fidel Castro once. I don't know if you know about that. They tried to murder him and uh, to assassinate him. And uh, what happened was he caught them because he used their own tactics counterintelligence tactics and caught them red-handed and he said to them if you guys ever try this again you're out of here and they never tried it again so with him they came to an agreement i had a, had a friend his name was sergey motorin he was a double agent to the kgb uh, kgb cia and they caught him red they, when he got back to moscow they arrested him right on the as soon as he touched the ground they arrested him uh, and and uh, at the airport and uh and I, I talked to friends of mine who were spy masters in Germany, and they told me, don't worry about it, Robert. He's probably, he's probably a plumber in Kansas right now. Plumber in Kansas. Well, Robert, there was a lot there. What I can say is, I know I wasn't aware of that, but I know there's always been conflict, and the Russians have tried to puppet Castro for a long time and, and essentially did. They funded so much of that operation, and when they didn't, then uh, Castro turned to his acolytes to kind of fund him like um, – what is this guy who's no longer around? He banged on the desk of the United Nations and he said, Sulfre. You remember that? After George Bush had given a speech, uh, his name, Hugo Chavez, right, from Venezuela. And he, um, he was another one that was um, funding much of what was happening in Cuba. But I, I think you're right in your assessment that Putin could do anything. And now that I know you guys were practically best friends, uh, it, it makes all the more sense that he, he can... He's, he's not going to lose. Uh, he, he's there to win. And I always knew that. I just didn't think that he would take the shot that quickly. And it seems like he did. So I was wrong on that front. And I appreciate the call. Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. I want to talk about marriage. There's some new stats on marriage that are out. And I think they're pretty interesting. Probably some of it obvious, but some of it that still needs to be discussed. So Folks, don't go anywhere. We're coming up. We're going to talk about marriage for a second before we go. 833, what is the number? 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
All right, we're talking about marriage. And like the song says, I just want to get married. Well, apparently, while the song is saying they just want to get married, marriages are failing in 2023, mainly because of a lack of support. And that's named as the main uh, cause for the road to Splitsville. And um, marriages fail for many different reasons. And there's uh, this study out in Forbes that surveyed 1,000 Americans who were divorced or in the process of getting divorced. And they did this to figure out why marriages are failing. Based on the data, it gave a, a little bit of insight into what's going on. And uh, the number one reason that they came up was a lack of family support, a lack of intimacy, too much conflict and financial stress. Now, I guess these are all known, especially if you're divorced. I was married once for just, just shy of 10 years. And I can tell you, I, I don't know if these were the reasons or not for me, but I know these are things that I heard a lot about. And I'm wondering, um, is this thing on target? Is it off target? Is this the real road to Splitsville? Is it really a lack of family support? Maybe one spouse not supporting the other or families not being involved. The cause that's listed here is a lack of support and saying that this is what's principally causing marriages to end and that couples who divorce don't always recognize these problems as signs that their marriage is in trouble. In fact, 21% of the respondents said that they disapproved of their spouse uh, or their spouse's family's disapproval or friends was a sign that the marriage was at risk, despite the fact that a lack of family support was a leading factor in 43% of divorces. And that's one I hadn't heard of because I usually hear about infidelity and financial trouble. But a lack of family support wasn't it. So this lack of family support from family members is the most common reason for divorce. However, there were many other reasons for unions to end with, you know, varying um, reasons on, on all sides of the spectrum. And those who divorced very quickly were more likely to end their marriages because they discovered they couldn't get along, which I think is the general... Um, Easiest way to get a divorce, right? Irreconcilable differences. 59% of people who dissolved their union said they did that within the first year of marriage and they cited a lack of compatibility and they got annulments. So anyway, that was that. And I thought that was pretty interesting because lack of support wasn't what I initially thought it would have been the, the main reason. Anyway, the music means they're kicking me out for tonight. I appreciate all of you for joining the program tonight and all of our wonderful guests. I want you to stay tuned to this station because there's more to come straight ahead. And of course, take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.